You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, Certified Financial Planner and your host, alongside my radio compadre, Ethan Broga. Good afternoon, Ethan. Hey, Ken. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning techniques based in evidence, uh, the likes of which we call empirical evidence, and it is designed uh, to be an interactive program. So if you want to give us a call during the show, please do so. If you want to email us. During the show or outside of show hours, do so as well. Ethan, if you want to give out that contact information. <laughs> wow, first caller of the day. That's fantastic. Yeah, you can reach us via email at contact at empiradio.com, or you can reach us via phone here at 866-472-5790. Give us a call. Are they, are they, are they emailing us on their typewriter? <laughs> It sure sounds that way. Uh, that's funny. That is funny. Um, okay. And uh, if you're a financial advisor, what, what are we trying to do here? Yeah. Well, if you're a financial advisor and you would um, like to explore the opportunity that we might have to work together, I know we've, we've been doing this for quite a while. We've built a very good infrastructure to help advisors guide clients in making consistently smart decisions. And we'd love to hear from you if you're interested in talking with us about possibly joining our firm. Excellent. Excellent. And, of course, if you're an individual investor out there looking for some, some uh, honest financial advice, we'd love to hear from you as well. We'd uh, happily run through any type of uh, financial scenario that you have, and undoubtedly we have the expertise and credentials and experience to help make smart decisions there as well. That's great. And we haven't done this in a while. But yes, it is great. I agree with you. <laughs> that is fantastic. <laughs> Fantastico. We haven't done this in a while, Ethan, but uh, I think it's time. If you do want to send us a, uh, if you do contact us and we go over your situation or question um, on the program, we will give you one of our favorite investment books. Worth $1 million. Approximately. Uh, it might be, <laughs> if you follow the advice. <laughs> um, and grow your assets there. So, no, that's very reasonable. We have lots of books uh, that we could pass along and uh, we'd happy to, happily do that. Okay, well, I thought today, Ethan, we talked before the show a little bit about this, but one of the authors that we have uh, recommended to clients is a guy by the name of William Bernstein in the past. And uh, probably because his philosophy and the research papers that he reads and studies to, uh, to generate the books that he has are very similar to what we do, very empirical in nature. And... Um, he was, looks like he was interviewed, one of our, our research director, Eric, forwarded this article to me that uh, he found on Yahoo Finance, and it was um, in the retirement focus section, and the title of the article is The Worst Retirement Invest- Investing Mistake. And the concept, I thought I would go through the article, Ethan, Sounds good. as we do, and um, and then try to put it in context for those of you out there listening and Many of us right now, according to the statistics, are uh, worried about the probability of retiring 
many of us don't know what ty- type of <laughs> gesundheit. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I don't know where that came from. Um, I think Simon's getting used to the sound effects here. So sounds like it. I'm putting him in charge of that now. Anyway, where was I? I was retirement. Um, many of us are worried. Stay focused, my friend. Stay focused. <laughs> I had to regroup. Worried about how we're going to be able to retire, and I think um, a lot of time is being spent uh, worrying about invest in the investment component of that. Um, and part of our job and what we're trying to do with our clients, with the public, uh, is, and I think there's a lot of room to a lot of work to be done in this area, but it's to help people establish um, how do they save and plan and successfully navigate through retirement. And the biggest piece of advice, before we get into this article, Ethan, I can Mm -hmm. give and continue to give is to choose the right advisors. Um, A, make a decision that you should have one, and and B, get get the right one. Right. And if you have any questions about how to do that, I know we've talked about that on repeatedly in different programs, but uh, in short, I'll say, give us a call, and we're not going to just try to sell you into our program. But I would be happy, and you would probably be happy then to explain, hey, these are things, if I walked uh, away from the industry or empirical and was looking to hire someone to help me, which I would, by the way, even with the knowledge that we have. Yep, me too. What would I be looking for, and how would I, how would I do it? And. Interestingly enough, I think the way that we would do it with our experience and knowledge is, is much different than how most people are making those decisions. Mm-hmm. But I, I thought we could all go through this, and then when I can just talk about it, I think it's uh, the implications of what's being talked about here are enormous. And I don't think, that's why I was, Eric thought I would like this article, because it's not the type of thing that, that gets discussed regularly in the general financial media. Right, in my view. That's why we're here. And uh, so the idea was that um, this author here, George Manns, was interviewing um, author William Bernstein and about his, it looks like he wrote another book, a short ebook called The Ages of the Investor, um, and is what economists call uh, life cycle theory. So he's he's talking about um, the research done on what economists are calling life cycle theory. And I have a paper on that. We could just talk about just the introduction of what that what that looks like, Ethan. Okay. Because um, I thought it'd be helpful to put it in context, but uh, we'll come back to that. Um, it really dictates that your asset allocation should be tied to your earnings power throughout your career. So rather than a traditional... How much time do I have to invest as a sole um, factor, I guess, in determining how much equity exposure? There are a lot of programs that do that, for example, like life cycle funds. Yeah. That just basically say, hey, we'll start with this amount of stock exposure. And as time goes on, we will systematically reduce that exposure. Um, and, and so this is a little bit different way of looking at that. And as I pulled up the paper, because um, I have read some about this in the past, but it's been a little while. The idea, um, 
like one of the papers that were written um, by a group of guys from various uh, Professor Bodie and Normal and Adele Barron, Professor of Management at Boston University. John Trissard is a PhD candidate at Boston University. They wrote a paper called The Theory of Life Cycle Saving and Investing. Um, and, you know, in the introduction, they basically say life cycle saving and investing are a matter of intense concern to millions of people around the world. The most basic questions people face are how much of their income should they save for the future? What risks should they insure against? How should they invest what they save? Uh, should they buy or rent a house? Should they get a fixed rate mortgage or an adjustable rate mortgage? So those are some of the examples. Hmm. Um, those might be issues and how are they uh, addressed? So he argues, that they argue that economic theory offers important insights and guidelines to policymakers and government to financial services firms that produce life cycle financial products to the advisors who make recommendations to their clients concerning which products to buy to educators trying to help the public uh, to make informed decisions and ultimately to consumers who are trying to answer these questions. So I'm going to get back to this article though, the, the uh, interview here of Bernstein. Okay. So he says uh, there's debate going on right now among economists about how much exposure people should have to stocks. I was meeting with someone the other day and then they were, I knew very little about them other than their ages. It was a, initial meeting with a prospective client, a couple, what would be a prospective client of Empirical, for example. Uh And they wanted to know, just based on their age alone, without giving me any other details, what allocation I thought I think they should be in. Um, And I think that's because we're used to rules of thumb that way. That's right. Um, I said, I really can't answer that question without knowing more information about you. I don't, we don't set investment policy simply on the age of the person. There are a lot of other factors that I would need to know. What made you weigh in? So he says, Bernstein says, it's almost like a political issue. There's a right wing of very smart, authoritative people who think that that savers and retirees should be investing conservatively because stocks are so risky. And then there's a left wing of equally smart and authoritative people who believe the opposite. I was trying to reconcile the two views. Plus, I wanted to deal with what happened in the 2008 financial crisis, which changed how people, myself included, think about risk. The interviewer says, how so? He says, a lot of people had won the game before the crisis happened. They had pretty much saved enough for retirement, and they were continuing to take risk by investing in equities. Afterward, many of them sold either at at or near the bottom, and never bought back uh, into it again. And these people have irretrievably damaged themselves. I began to understand this point 10 or 15 years ago, but now I'm convinced when you've won the game, why keep playing it? How risky stocks uh, are to a given investor depends on upon which part of the life cycle he or she is in. For a younger investor, stocks aren't as risky as they seem. For the middle-aged, they're pretty risky, and for a retired person, they can be nuclear-level toxic. Do you want me to continue or have some comments that you want to? Yeah, I mean, I think he's right. Um, you know, folks that who who had a diversified portfolio going into the crisis um, and got cold feet or got too scared, obviously it was a scary time, um, and decided to sell out 
most of most of them was at or near the bottom of the market. Yeah, they they took what would normally be even in a historical context, including the Great Depression, more of a temporary loss and made it into a more a permanent setback. Right. Which is, is just which is terrible. They can be avoided um, if if you understand a little bit more about investing uh, in terms of hey, my my portfolio is diversified. That should protect me. I have the right allocation and the right mix of stocks and bonds and so forth. So it's unfortunate when that happens. That's for sure. I think one of the toughest things that I've experienced in this business is trying to get investors to understand the difference between compensated risk and uncompensated risk. And so what risk should I take and should I not make changes to my my strategy um, when those risks emerge in the form of seeing my portfolio decline? Yeah. And when do I change my strategy as a function of risk I take where I see a loss um, that I don't, ex- I shouldn't expect to recover regardless of how long I sit. Um, that is a very hard concept, I think, for most people to understand. And I see such a high frequency of it in portfolios that come to me yeah. that I review. I was just meeting with someone, uh, a different group of, a different per- person, and going over a portfolio that had been put together by a, a, a broker at one of the brokerage companies, and um, there was there was a lot of risk in that portfolio that I would classify as uncompensated risk. The risk that you're not you you can hold this thing forever, and there's no benefit. Um, and and one, one example I use of that is just buying one single stock. Just owning one single stock rather than diversifying across thousands of stocks. If that stock goes down, you could potentially hold it forever and never expect to get your return of capital because companies do, there's no debating it, they do go out of business. Right. Um, or they do very poorly for very, very long periods of time. Right. Um, however, while the stock market does also go down, it's rarer, rarer anyway, that the entire stock market goes bankrupt, um, that it will never come back. Yeah. doesn't mean that historically some markets haven't gone out of existence and started over again, but it's clearly a lot less frequent and a lot less likely to happen than any single stock, which we see every day Yeah, uh, in the marketplace. Right. So that is something that in all of this discussion should be considered is what risks am I taking that it, if I have the time frame and I put a little chart together, Ethan, to talk about this, because as you know, I've designed a retirement system that I think is very in line with this theory of putting your, your retirement money um, and investing it in time periods that match the risk. Um, and I'll try to clarify that. I was seeing how much time we have here. Let's continue through this. It's not very long, okay. and, and then we can make all the points that we want. Uh, so the the interviewee says, interviewer says, uh, but at retirement you could be investing for several more decades. Don't you have the time to make up for short term losses? So one of the things Bill said though in the previous paragraph was the people who, after the market went down, say in March two thousand nine, sold out of stocks. So that's two different things as well, right? Yeah. Because when you say they're irretrievable, it's because they sold. The market actually is on a globally diversified portfolio, is recovered all almost all that loss, if not all of it, 
Yes. By just sitting tight a couple of years, right? That's right. You didn't have to wait 20 years to see that happen no. in this particular situation. You just waited a couple of years. Yeah. Um, and shorter, I've got a balanced portfolio. But now I think this is a little bit different. So he says, Bill says, at the, at, the end of the, at the end of your career, you have no more earnings capacity left beyond Social Security or a pension. You have less of what life cycle theory calls human capital. So this concept of human capital, Ethan, do you want to, do you want to talk about that for a second? Yeah, briefly, sure. Because they don't really explain it here. Yeah. Uh, well, human capital, I think, it refers to the amount of, of uh, wages or earnings you can expect to, or, to, to make over your your earnings career, basically. So if you're 30 years old and you expect to be working for 30 more years, maybe until you're 60, well, the amount of money you are going to be earning between ages 30 and 60 is your human capital. And people who make a higher income have as an asset, right, a yeah. higher human, ca- human capital than people who, ha- who make a lower income. Right. So how that relates to a portfolio, maybe we can, we're going to have to take a break here in a minute, but okay. uh, how that relates to a portfolio would be if you have um, very small assets in an account but a high human capital, um, in theory, you have the capacity maybe to take more risk. Right. For example, uh-huh. if you have with that investment, you mean. right? Yeah. If you have a lot of money in a bank account, but a very low hu- human capital, because maybe you became incapacitated, for example, right? It's the combination of those two that you need to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and traditional investing, I think, kind of ignored some of that. Yeah. That this idea of what I make, or it's more, it was more about what do you have in an account. When do you need to use it? And then when you do need to use it, how much are you going to want to pull out of it? Yeah. Let's pick up on this after we take a break here. Sounds good. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Tune into the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's Hot Topics. Do you want to know what's really going on these days? 
Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back at Empirical Investing Radio co-host Ethan Broga alongside Ken Smith here. Um, we're just talking about an article that was presented to us a little while ago um, on the, under the Yahoo Finance area, uh, written by a person named George George Manns from Money Magazine. Um, by the way, before we get into this, uh, if you'd like to reach us uh, today and join the conversation, feel free to reach us at uh, contact at empiradio.com, so go ahead and send us an email, or if you'd like to reach us via phone and actually talk live on the broadcast today. Uh, give us a call at 866-472-5790. And if you call, I, I guarantee you will not hear that uh, disconnected signal. Busy signal? Was it busy or disconnected? Not really sure. Sound like disconnected to me. Simon? What's the verdict? Okay. It is not. I it was busy. It's a phone sound effect according to the, okay. the, the label there, it looks like. All right, back to the business at hand. Okay. We are talking about retirement. Uh, we're talking about looking at risk. Um, in light of what happened in the financial crisis. And um, uh, where we were was uh, talking about the life cycle. Um, some <clears throat> summary of what we've covered. Some Bernstein saying, some economists think that people should be in stocks, like Jeremy Siegel writes his book, Stocks for the Long Run. <clears throat> Feels like everybody should be in stocks all the time because they have a tendency to create wealth. Um, better than other asset classes do, regardless of uh, maybe what your what your age is. Um, yeah. And other economists think as you get older, you need to be super conservative. Um, we were talking about human capital, this idea that as you're young, um, you've got a whole lifetime of earnings ahead of you. Uh, so, of your proportionally of your wealth, your your human capital changes over time um, relative to what you actually have saved in the bank account. So most of your net worth or your wealth would be tied up in your human capital as you're young in your career because you probably don't have a lot in a savings account. Later in the career, most of your wealth, uh, very little of it is human capital because you have very little future earnings power left. But hopefully if you've done a good job working with an advisor like Ethan Broga down here at the Empirical, <laughs> you've got a very large portfolio. That's right. That, that makes up uh, a lot of your the proportion of your wealth. Surely you jest, Ethan. That's funny. So he says, but at retirement, you could be investing for several more decades. Don't you have time to make up for the short-term losses? And he says at the end of your career, just like we're saying, your earnings capacity, uh, 
aside from any pensions or Social Security you would receive, um, is diminished. You have less of it. So, if you have a series of uh, bad returns, a long series of bad returns, plus on top of it, say you're withdrawing 4 or 5%, um, in 10 to uh, 12 years, you may not have anything left. So, see, you hit a bad cycle of time. Yeah, sure. Um, and I was, I had Eric um, pull up the statistics just on the S&P 500 index, Ethan. Oh, great. And I think this is something that's very important in this whole retirement investing discussion mm-hmm. that I just don't think people put enough weight on. Um, I think that we all we have a tendency to get caught up in the daily news and not understand the market history around investing, right? And what we're dealing with. And if we look back on a on a um, non-inflation adjusted basis, so just the the gross nominal returns of the stock market, going back to 1927, the average. Um, individual single-year return, if we took each individual uh, 12-month return that you can create and you just average them together, so it's not the compound annual return, but the average is about 12.11% on the S&P 500. Okay. So all that means is that in any 12-month period that you're, you're investing, if you took the best returns and the worst returns for that time period, they average out to about that, 12%. But if you look at the the best single-year return, which occurred if you put your money in, into the S&P 500, if that index was readily accessible back in July of 1932, Ethan, the following 12-month return you would have received on your money was 162.88%. That's 162%, Ethan. What? Yes, that's right. Really? So, yes, yes. Close I kid you. Negative. However... If you were the unfortunate investor who received one large lump sum of cash and invested all that cash into the S&P 500 July of 1931, the subsequent 12-month return was negative 67.57, so almost a loss of 70%. Uh, you put your million dollars into the oh. in, into that portfolio. Oh, that really hurt. Exactly, exactly. You nailed that one, Simon. Uh, you lost $670,000 of your million, right? Wow. That's pretty painful. Extremely painful. And But let's think about that in a different way. Okay. Listen to me now or hear me later, Ethan, <laughs> that's all I have to say. <laughs> all right. If you were a young strapping fellow like Simon is here and you didn't have a million dollars to invest in the stock market in July 1931. All right. Uh, but maybe you had $100 a month in today's dollars. And you said, geez, should I be buying? What should I do? Um, so you started uh, putting that money in every month. Um, that The fact that you made your first $100 investment on July 1931 and, and over the next 12 years, sorry, the next 12 months, that initial $100 investment dropped 67%. Yeah. May not be the end of the world, right? Because... Theoretically, he may be putting in every month for a 40-year period. Right. Um, and so what happens is his time horizon expands. This is the critical part. Well, if he extended his um, time horizon to five years and you said, hey, I put 
I'm the guy that puts the million dollar lump sum investment in. Uh, what could happen to that? Um, well, there's a time period where you um, had a 17.36% loss, uh, and that was September 1929, if you put that million dollars in. Now, much less than the 67% loss that you experienced, right, in the one-year time right. If you extended that out to 10 years now, um, and again, it's the same 10-year period. It's September of 1929, and you put all your million dollars in. Ten years later, you were down 4.95%. In total or in per year? Uh, total. Pretty wow. sure these are total. Wow, okay. it's, the, it's the return for that period. Okay, excellent. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to uh, check on that. Actually, I think it is. It's, oh. I think it is annualized. I'm sorry. Okay. It's the annualized. Uh, it's got to be. So for 12 so, years, you were down about 4% per year Yeah, during that period. Uh, it's yeah. not, I mean, it's not great, but well, okay. I'll take that. Well, and it, it would be a different scenario, I guess, if you looked at the single year being down 67%, and then you annualize that over 10 years, right? It comes out to a much larger number yeah. than losing 4.95% per year. Right. Okay. So and these are annual numbers. Sorry about that. These are uh, um, nominal returns, you said? Or, 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 or? Uh, these here are nominal returns. Okay. So I won't belabor this too long, but let me give you a couple more here because I think the point is, think is, is huge. When you get out to 20 years, so you said, hey, I, I go back January 1927 to now. Um, I can invest any month. There's a lot of months in there. There's close to 1,000, I think, is the series that you can create in terms of individual months for mm-hmm. one-year scenarios. All right. Um, anyway, the worst 20 year experience would have been a positive 1.89% um, per year. Now it's interesting because the best 20 year period was 18.26%. Wow. And that, that says a lot to me, um, about the unpredictability of what you're dealing with, with stocks. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, how do you feel about that? That's incredible, right? The range of returns for a 20-year period since 1926, you said, yeah, was 18, basically from 1% to 18%. In any 20-year rolling period, you could expect to get a return between that, <laughs> that range. That's a pretty huge range, I'd agree. So as in the, in the 90s, by the way, because that 20-year period started on the best side in 19, uh, April of 1980. Yeah. So a guy like you, Ethan, you put in, you sell your Camry and a few other of your personal items. Yep. And then you, that totals up to about a million bucks. My juice man juicer. Your juicer, your little weight package you got down there. Yeah. Uh, all that stuff. And you got your little workout center at your house. Oh, I'm not selling that, though. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that, that, does, that goes all the go. kids' toys. That's fine. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. April 1980, the 20-year period then would end. Uh, 20 years would be 92,000, right? So you had you had a pretty good period. Well, in the 90s, when I got into this this whole thing, um, and I was meeting people, and I was saying, "Hey, what were you? What are you projecting as your return for your retirement plan?" They weren't using eight percent, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and if we look at just for the 50-year period of time, the best 50-year period was an average was 13.92 percent per year. Uh, okay. The worst was 7.43. Wow. So very, much narrower, right? Yes. So if you were going to use something based on the past, my advice is to use a time period that's a little bit longer, 
But what I was seeing back then was people were using into the teens. Yes. They were saying, hey, I'm going to get a 13, 14, 15, 18, up to 18%. And that's what they're putting into their own personal retirement plan. Yeah. Rather than say, wait a minute, where am I getting this from? You know, I've got a 30 or 40 year time horizon. And when I look over that kind of time horizon, um, you know, the, the range is much narrower. It's certainly not 18% a year, even on the best side. Yeah. Right. I remember, I remember talking uh, with uh, uh, not a close friend of mine, but a friend of mine many years ago. <laughs> a casual acquaintance? Well, it's a, 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 my, my good friend's uh, sister's husband. Oh, one so, of those situations. And I was okay. like seven, six, seven years ago, before the crisis anyway. Right. right. And he was saying, because he knows I'm a financial advisor and do some investments and stuff. And Anyway, he's like, well, hey, can, I would give you my money if you can, you can give me 15% per year. Because if you can't give me 15% per year, what, 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 what do I need you for? Why do you even exist? Basically. Yeah. And this is recently. This isn't like in the 90s. This is like in the middle of the 2000s. And obviously we, we, we didn't uh, connect in, in regards to that. But I tried to explain that that's pretty unrealistic. Anyway. Yeah. I digress. Well, I, the only thing that it, it's, I think, a lack of understanding and education about how markets work, right? And what our market history is and where returns come from. And the fact that we will go through cycles where... Even for 20 years, you can you see a return of 18.26 percent per year. If uh, if that was the the period of time that I was just coming out of, um, or let's go to a 10 year period. The best 10 year period was 21.43 percent. Um, and interestingly enough, that was if you had invested June of of 1949, put your money in the S and P 500, and then for 10 years, um, that's what you would have received. Hmm. That's pretty powerful. Yeah. And if we went then at that time period and, and at the end of that, so we get into 1950 and you meet with this person, what do you think they're going to expect you to do for them? They're going to say, hey, if you can't get me 21%, why am I even talking to you? Right. Because that's what the market's been doing, right? But in reality, what they should be signing up for is the fact that um, the subsequent period of time is probably not going to be so good. In that's fact, right. it could be very poor. Right. And it's those... Difficult times when, particularly when we start taking risks that are earlier in the conversation I was saying are uncompensated. Mm -hmm. The unfortunate thing is that we tend to not even be happy when we do get the 21% by just owning the market index. We become greedy, right? And we want more than that. And so we start doing things like buying, not just owning the stock market, but now we're buying technology mutual funds because they're doing 30 or 40% a year. I don't even want the 20% that the market's putting out. Right. I want 30 or 40, which these funds have done in the last few years. Yeah. Um, so even if you can't do that, why am I involving myself with you until, until the 2000, uh, the technology bubble occurs and they lose it all or a big majority of it and it becomes irrecoverable. Right. Or we go through a, a financial crisis type situation. Um, or whatever it is, you know, these things tend to reverse themselves. <laughs> and it's more important that you're involved with someone who, ha if you don't have that knowledge or understanding how this is all working, that you get involved with someone who does and then listen to them and follow their advice because they do know what's going on. Um, now, we don't know what's what we don't know, right, is what the next 20-year period is going to look like. We know historically the range has been between a positive 18% <laughs> and a positive 1.9% return. So how does somebody plan a retirement 
for the next 20 years if they're buying stock only. And those that's the dispersion of the outcomes. It's very hard, right? Oh, yeah. How do you do a retirement plan that way? I don't even know. Yeah. Pretty tough. Okay. So let's let's we'll come back to this. We'll come back to this. But real quick, the the, for, the worst forty year return um, for the S and P was seven point nine, Ethan. Okay. And the worst thirty year return was a positive seven point eight. So what we do know is that over time, as your time horizon expands or expanded, there was less likelihood that you would sustain a, an actual loss. Right. And when I look at the, I have the inflation adjusted numbers as well. Uh, it's the same thing. So you actually don't lose to inflation um, as long as your time horizon was long enough. So uh, these aren't on, a, on an inflation-adjusted basis. You come to the same conclusion. So a, the longer the time frame, the less likely I have a loss. Um, right. B, the longer the time frame, the narrower the outcome becomes. So the more certainty, at least historically speaking. I have in the range of return that I'm going to get. So I can't go into it going, well, I expect a 12% return next year, Ethan. When I know the range on any one year has been a positive 162% to negative 67%, that's completely unreasonable, yet that's what I see investors do oh so frequently. Right. No, that what you should be doing is saying, Ethan, if I don't get a return between 162% and a negative 70%, we probably need to have a talk. Right. Not if it's not 12% next year. (laughs) I hear you. So those are the key things to take away. If you have that knowledge, I think you'll make, you'll, you'll look at your investing experience a little bit differently. And I'm actually surprised here if this is really what Bernstein said, because he said in the article how the, um, the financial crisis completely is a guy that, that, uh, has written some good books. Yeah. That's for sure. But I, but the financial crisis didn't change my view in terms of what stocks risking it. Yeah. Um, and maybe we can, we'll pick up on that as soon as we come back from this break. Sounds good. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. We spend 70% of our week in the office. What is the difference between enjoying your job and enduring it? The number one motivator is a positive work environment. And that's where Real Recognition Radio comes in. Join your hosts, Roy Saunderson and S. Max Brown, as they take a look at the positive factors of the workplace, such as employee rewards, recognition, incentives, and much more. Tune in to Real Recognition Radio. Tuesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at EmpiricalFS.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. 
Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. Stock prices plunging, home prices receding, and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. All right, we're back. Uh, Empirical Investing Radio. Your co-host here, Ethan Broga, alongside the main host, the star of the show, uh, Ken Smith. Oh, come on. No, seriously. And, uh, you know, before the break, we're just talking about this uh, this letter again, or the article that was written in, uh, looks like Money Magazine, by George Manns, which uh, there he interviews a pretty well-known author, uh, at least in our, our world anyway, uh, William Bernstein. If you'd like to join the conversation, this is the last segment, your last chance of the day to give us a call. It's your last chance. We've been uh, we've been turning down a lot of calls, right? So make it good. <laughs> you can reach us at, at uh, contact at empiradio.com or give us a call here at the Empirical Tower in downtown Seattle at eight six six eight six six four seven two five seven nine zero. I like how I threw, threw in a niner there. Yeah. All right, Ken, you were saying before. Well, what I was there. saying is in the article. Uh, that we had uh, had read, he he had he William Bernstein says that uh, uh, he changed his view on risk as a result of the crisis. Right here, he says. Plus, I wanted to deal with what happened in the 2008 crisis, financial crisis, which changed how people, myself included, think about risk. And I was saying that, um, like when we talked to some of the some of the academic guys, uh, like. Kevin, I think it was Ken French, whatever. He said, no, nothing changed for me. I, yeah. Um, and when you look at this data, I was saying I was surprised if that's true. Maybe I'm not fully understanding what changed about it. But the worst drawdown for the S&P 500 is not the financial crisis. That almost 70% decline occurred in 1931. Right. The single year decline. Um, so... For anyone to change their view on what potentially could happen to stocks, uh, particularly people who have written several books, it's kind of surprising. A little surprising, yeah, I agree. Uh, because the first thing we have, or one of the things we have in our investment policy documents, is a little bit of a historical overview, focusing particularly on what the worst-case scenarios have been in stock market. Um, because we want investors to realize and understand that, hey, Again, the benchmark here for what stocks can do in any single year is not a 12% return. 
the appropriate mindset and benchmark for that one-year time horizon would be the would be somewhere within the range of around the range of returns that we've historically experienced. So I was saying 162% to negative 67. Right. Um, that that would be more realistic, right? And if you were had a million dollars and you said, hey, uh, this I need to spend a million dollars of my retirement all in one year because I'm age 79 and my the life expectancy table tells me that I'm going to live uh, to 80. Um, would it be a good idea to have that kind of variance um, of return in that last year? Would it be better to say, hey, I probably shouldn't have any range that has a significant um, decline as one of the potential outcomes. Right, sure. Because I, I don't have the time to wait for that. Um, the the psychology is a completely separate issue altogether because someone could panic at any age, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think that that's a completely different thing. But uh, that was the point going into the break we were making is you need to understand the fact that how time changes the benchmark, it changes the range of returns, and it changes the potential to see loss um, both pre- and post-inflation on your investment portfolio. Uh, And where more conservative securities, I think, play a role, and maybe we can skip through the rest of this real quick. Sure. Um, would be as you have a uh, smaller time frame or you've got enough to accomplish everything you need without the risk. So that's what we're going to get to. How, how should I, so the next question is how should I invest near and after retirement? And so Bill says, uh, you want to end up with a portfolio that matches your liabilities, meaning the amount you will spend in retirement. The rule of thumb I came up with, and I get very nervous about rules of thumb, Ethan. Sure. But uh, based on annuity payouts and spending patterns in life is that you should save 20 to 25 times your residual living expenses. This is the yearly shortfall you have to make up after Social Security and any pension. This portfolio should be in safe assets, treasury inflation protected securities, annuities, or even short-term bonds. Anything above that, you can invest in risky assets. That's your risk portfolio. If you dream about taking a round-the-world trip and the risk portfolio does well, you can use it for that. If the risk portfolio doesn't do well, at least you're not pushing a shopping cart under an overpass. (laughs) All righty then, Bill. Yeah. Uh, So that is very congruent with what we've designed in our dynamic uh, retirement income distribution system. Which is first and foremost, let's set aside enough money uh, to cover your living expenses that you need above and beyond, right? That you need to pull out of your portfolio, setting aside those pensions and other income streams. And then let's look at the at the most prudent way to invest those over the different time intervals that you have. So for simplicity, I divided that into to 10-year intervals, Ethan. Right. So if you're age 60... As an example, you're retiring. I'm saying, what are we doing with the investments to cover the next 10 years, the immediate 10 years of retirement, adjusting for inflation that they want to utilize or increases or decreases that we want to take, mm-hmm. and and all of that stuff. Okay, well, how should we invest that 10-year time tranche, as, as I like to call it? Yeah, well, in this case, I mean, we're, we're talking about 
having it a starting amount and then going it down, having it go to zero, right? Right. By the end of the ten, we're drawing period. that down to zero. We're yeah, basically, right. in in my world here, creating your own annuity. Right. You want to have a pretty conservative portfolio. You want you don't want to have a lot of risk with that. Well, you certainly wouldn't want something where the the range, if we go to the S and P over a ten year period, is between a positive twenty one and a negative five percent per year. Right. That's kind of tricky, right? Um, to plan on that because we have to pick something, some return number, right? So what I do to address that with our clients is I'm saying, hey, we can build a, a bond ladder mm-hmm. um, that we know exactly what they – so what Bill's talking about, matching liabilities, right, with assets. The liability is I need, say it's $50,000 a year out of my portfolio, and I want to give myself a little raise for inflation, Just let's just say, for fun. Gaggles. Um, <laughs> reasonable. We're going to make our best estimate of what we think that'll be. There's ways of doing that that are reasonable. Yeah. So I can calculate for you then how much money do you need to deposit today at a given rate of return so that at the end of the 10 years we've gotten the 50000 a year that you need adjusted for inflation and that bucket then is drawn down to zero at the end of that time period. Okay, well, I need to do that exercise if I was doing it in 10-year chunks. I need to do it from age 60 to whatever my life expectancy is. And so one way of being conservative would just be to plug in 100. Yeah. And I'd have four decades to plan for. So if I went out the next decade, Mm -hmm. I'd say, well, okay, well, this decade, this investment is my age 70 to uh, 80 income stream. Okay. Um, I know what the range of outcomes are, potential outcomes are on stocks. If I if I were to invest entirely in stock, right? So that again it is another ten year time horizon. If I'm thinking about stocks before it becomes a ten year income time horizon, because it's right, it's ten years away before it, I put it. I know in ten years it has to have zero stock in it. Yeah. Because I don't want any of that risk. So I'm going to have, if I am going to have some stock, I've got a 10-year time period. Well, if I have too much, again, I'm still dealing with the issue that if we look at the S&P, it could be a positive 20, it could be negative, uh, a negative 5. Sorry, I'm looking at the inflation adjusted one. It could be a positive 21, it could be a negative 5% return. But what if I started to put some fixed income, which has a much narrower range of returns, mm-hmm. into that? By doing that, I narrow. I keep. I can continue to narrow the the range of returns down, and then I could also focus on the lower end of returns. So I don't have to pick. If I was looking at a range of twenty one to negative five, I don't have to go. Oh, I'll go with the twenty one. <laughs> right. What if I put enough money in the bucket to say, well, what if we actually experience the negative five? If we don't, I'll do what Bill's saying and say, hey, the extra money I'll funnel back into my surplus, and I'll I'll spend that. On, on cruises or uh, whatever it is you like to do in your leisure time. Around-the-world trips. Cheetos or what? what is it? Yeah, around-the-world Yeah, around-the-world, whatever. So you can now to divide up those time periods is what I'm doing and saying, hey, let's look at how we should, using our, his, our knowledge of how markets work and how this time uh, frame, this time risk paradigm here works, um, I shouldn't shouldn't have a lot of stocks in those early decades of investing. And I should make sure that I have enough to cover my income. 
then I have what I call a surplus bucket or tranche. Um, and I call it like a legacy or surplus tranche, which says, hey, I'm going to put uh, any extra. Once I've used very conservative estimates to get all my income that I need, I'm going to put the extra in that bucket and I will invest it accordingly. So in his world, in uh, Bernstein's world, he's saying, hey, that's your that's your uh, risk bucket or what or risk investment. Um, and if that does well or, or you do it, you, you have your fun. If it doesn't, then you don't, but you're not eating um, sardines out of a can underneath the, uh, the bridge, I guess, is what he says. Yeah, the overpass. <laughs> um, yeah. You have any comments on that? No. Before we roll forward? No comments on that. Um, so he just, I'll just read his thing, but it says, what if, what if the next question was, what if we're nearing um, retirement age and, and you don't have that? 20 or 25 years saved already. Uh, he says, you should be working until you get that number. If you're 65 and you've only got half of your living expenses saved, you can retire and you may skate through. You may die earlier, you may have a good market, but there's a significant chance you're going to be eating Alpo when you're 85. That's the risk you're taking. The other choice you have is to work a few more years and reduce expenses. One thing that we point out to readers is if you don't have uh, stocks in your portfolio, you expose yourself to inflation risk. That's true. By owning stocks, you do mitigate inflation risk. But, of course, you're exposing yourself to equity risk to do it. It's sort of like all these people who are now buying dividend-yielding stocks because treasury bonds don't have any yield. They're exchanging riskless assets for a risky asset. But there's another asset class that people really don't think about when they're, when they think about inflation protection. And that is short, high quality bonds with a maturity of less than three years. If we ever do get an inflationary shock, investors demand a high real short term rate of return. It's what, it's what happened during the late seventies and early eighties. Even though interest rates are terrible right now, if inflation recurs, as I think it probably will, short term bonds are a fine place to be as are individual treasuries or certificate of deposits. Deposit. Since they mature soon, you can replace them with quickly with newer, higher interest bonds. And yeah. Interest rates usually more than keep up with inflation. It's true that real yields right now are historically low. But as a student of financial history, as we are, Ethan, mm-hmm. I have to believe that that's not going to last forever. Um, yeah, that's right. I mean, we all expect... Rates to go up at some point, and I think it'll probably be when inflation starts to be a problem. Well, Ethan, I've got about thirty seconds. Do you want to do you want to do a conclusion here? Summarize what we're talking about. Well, I'm not sure I can do that again. I didn't get through all the article, yeah. but uh, I don't know that it's all relevant. I think we covered the gist of this retirement problem. The worst retirement mistake you can make, in my view, uh, if that was the title of this, is. Not understanding how you're invested and the risk you're taking um, and how that relates to you accomplishing your, your retirement uh, income needs. So having too much risk at, at, at the um, wrong time in your life. I mean, all of this could be summarized to managing risk through the different life cycle that we all go through. Right. That makes good sense. And on that note, we hope you tune in again to Empirical Investing Radio next Thursday at the same time. Uh, 2 p.m. was a specific time here. Yep. 
Yeah, that's what we're doing. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you. We hope you've enjoyed Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and Ethan Broga. Please join us again next Thursday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And for more information about Empirical Investing Radio, please call 800-923-4307. We'll see you next week. 